Well, let me choir, thank you for that <clears throat> special. And uh, thank the Lord for the hope that we have in here. Amen. Let's take our uh, Bible this morning and let's find the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 4. And uh, last week, we, uh, we looked at our hope that is in Christ. And, and uh, I thought about, you know, here we are in January, uh, starting a new year. And, uh, you know, just the essentials of the faith. Our hope is in Christ. It's built on Him, nothing less. And uh, I can remember for years, uh, Brother Steve Ross used to always say that uh, people could live without a lot of things, but that they couldn't live without hope for a day. And uh, I think that's very true. And so we talked about the need for Christians to have hope. And this hope that we have in Christ, a hope for a future, gives us the power to live presently uh, in our day in which we find ourselves in. So this morning, I want to look at another Christian essential, and that is uh, Christian unity. And uh, Paul, (coughs) excuse me, writes about that uh, here in uh, chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. So we'll begin there in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 6. That's where we'll start. And if you would... Let's stand this morning as we honor the reading of God's uh, Word. Beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And Father, we desire to hear from you. We desire to know the word. and We know that truth makes us free. And Lord, help us to, God, just understand personally today. Uh, that God, you, you've called us, uh, just as you gave this letter to the church there at Ephesus, that Lord, you, you're calling us to live in a way that is consistent with our faith and our hope that rests in you, our, our walk in Christ, uh, this new beginning that we have as new creations in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to understand that regardless of how we've been equipped, and we all have, none of that matters if it is done in a way that divides or is divisive. So, Lord, help us to understand the importance of Christian unity and how we are to fulfill your call and bring your will about in our lives. We love you. We need you. Now, guide us today and touch our hearts and our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Paul, as he writes uh, the letter to the Ephesians, uh, he doesn't spend time like he does in Corinth and the letters there to address certain issues. It's really, uh, like many of his letters, it it begins with the what you need to believe section and then he follows that up with, you know, the application aspect. And I've always enjoyed that about uh, Paul's writings. I'm I'm a person who likes application. I try to be practical uh, with the word, because at, at the end of the day, we got to do something with it. You know, we're not to we're not to just be storing it up, but we got to do something with it. 
And, uh, and Paul wrote that way, that we can understand there's something to be uh, believed, and then this is how that shows up uh, in life. And, and Paul touches here on the purpose of Christian unity. Now that is not to say that we all think the same way, we all like the same kind of ice cream, and we're all going to dress the exact same way. Not what it's talking about. They're, we're different people. Uh, we have differences of opinion. We have different likes and dislikes. It's not what Paul's talking about. But from the beginning of the church in the New Testament, it is clearly seen, not only on the pages of Scripture, but through history, that it is important for people to know what they believe. Because if you were to ask people today how it is that, you know, uh, heaven can be yours. Do you believe in God? Yes. Okay. Uh, how, how, how do you go to heaven? How is it that a person has a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you, if you asked a group of people that, you would get a number of answers. I mean, and we kind of live in a culture today where, you know, we, we think of things in terms of, well, that's your truth, this is my truth, they have their truth, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, if we were to ask, you know, 15 people, uh, how is it that you know you're going to go to heaven and you got 13 different answers, we cannot say all 13 of them are true. I mean, I guess we could say that, but uh, we're going we're gonna to leave this world and head to an eternity one day, and that is not a question that has 13 answers. Amen? That is, that is a question that is answered through script, in Scripture and that we need to fundamentally know that before we leave this world into eternity. So unity through the Scriptures is taught because it's important that a church, that a congregation knows what they believe, they teach those things, and that is a part of the process of making disciples. In the context of the scripture this morning, Paul talks about walking in unity before he even gets to the issue of spiritual gifts. And the reason being is, is unity, if you will, that's the boundary of which we exercise in faith what God has equipped us to do. And if we're exercising those gifts in a way that is outside of sound theology, we ain't doing nobody any favors. There is a context in which God desires for us uh, to operate uh, in this world in which we live in as it relates to the things of God. It is important that we know what we believe. And Paul begins this with just kind of a, a broad statement in the sense that he says uh, he desires that we would walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. It's important to understand that, that we as Christian people you and I have been called unto salvation. We have been called into this uh, new camp of God where we are no longer the people that we used to be. We're new creations in Christ. We've been called uh, at, with a heavenly purpose uh, to live on mission for God. It's not a creed. It's not just a set of teachings. But it is something greater than that. It is a calling to fulfill what God desires to do in you and through you, and how He will use you this side of heaven in this world. And so it's important that He begin with this idea about Christian unity, that there is a behavior that accompanies that Christian unity. He says uh, to walk worthy uh, of the calling in which you have received, to live a life that looks like your profession of faith. Now, now, the Scripture's got a lot of words 
uh, to describe those who would say one thing and live another. We, we, you know, the scriptures say that we are hypocritical in that sense, that, uh, that we were, literally we wear a mask, that we appear to be something in which we are not. We understand in scripture that Jesus spent a lot of time calling out the religious elites of the day that said one thing and lived in another. So Paul says it is important as a new creation in Christ, as part of a New Testament church, that our behavior line up with that which we profess. That, that's important, that the behavior, there is behavior that accompanies Christian unity. Now this is, this is why this is so important. Very few church splits through the years and disagreements in the church, believe it or not, most of those are not about theology. They're really not. Most of those are about personal preferences. That's, that's, what, that's what it is. I've lived through some of that myself. But the reality is we, we tend to get sometimes sidetracked on insignificant things. And sometimes we look at the church at Corinth that Paul addresses things that, that the little things they tended to be upset about, but the major things they seem to be perfectly fine with. So Paul addresses this that in the New Testament church, these things come up. It's important to know what you believe, and it's important to teach and practice certain things and be unified around those things. In a theological system in which you know what you believe and you practice those things in which you believe. Paul says that it is compatible with our calling. We are to bring through our belief. This is to affect our behavior, our conduct, and it is to be worthy of the life in which we call. There's something else to be said of that too, that understand we bear the name Christian. That is a reflection on who? On Jesus Christ. We bear that name. The, 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 the way in which we live and conduct ourselves, it says something about the God that we say we serve. We, we should take it very seriously. Whether we're young, whether we're old, it doesn't matter. We're to take that call with which we've been called very seriously. Uh, we certainly need to do that in the day and age in which we live in. We're to be serious about the call of God on our life. So he mentions behavior here. And in verse 2, we begin to see he starts to uh, call out certain aspects of how this looks. And I love about Paul. He doesn't just throw something out there and then he leaves us to define it. Because, you know, again, you, you, you throw a term out there in our culture today, you're going to get a lot of definitions. Can you imagine what Christian unity looks like to a culture that can't even define what a woman is anymore? Think about that. If, if, we, if, we, if we are struggling with that, can you imagine how many ways a person would say, you can go to heaven. Can you imagine who God is to people today? So Paul just doesn't leave us with ambiguity out there. He doesn't throw it out that way. He, he gives us specifics. How is Christian unity to look like from a behavior standpoint? And in verse 2, he starts talking about uh, humility. Notice in verse 2, he mentions these words. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, uh, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Now, we understand in Scripture that the Bible speaks that God would exalt those who humble themselves. 
and God hates pride. Uh, pride goes before a fall. Uh, uh, being arrogant, uh, being egotistical uh, is, is frowned upon, uh, even more so than frowned upon, it is completely addressed in Scripture that it's something we do not need to do. Uh, I heard someone say that, that, that egotism is the sedative that nature provides to deaden to the pain of being a fool. Um, and I, that is true. Uh, Paul addresses what humility looks like. And this breaks down further into a couple of areas here. And I would like to call that first area self-awareness and the second area God-awareness. Now, what is, what is self-awareness? Well, it's humility that depends on honesty. And for a person to look inward and realize that we're all here and we're a work in progress and have the courage to say that, to look at ourselves in the mirror and realize that. It's easy for us to put uh, the rose-colored glasses on that uh, John Conley, and boy, I'm dating myself when I say that, uh, when he talked about back in the day. But to have the self-introspection to realize that, that there are things in my life that I need to work on too. See, folks, we're not the standard. We're not the standard. And, and if, 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 I mean, you know, if I'm comparing myself to other people, sometimes I look pretty doggone good. But they're not the standard. The Lord's the standard. And, and we'll, we're not going to achieve that outside the power of of the Spirit of God in us? Certainly not. That's why He gave us one of the reasons He gave us His Spirit. So we could live the Christian life because God, God knows we can't do it on our own. So He equips us. He empowers us through the Spirit to live to His precepts, His precepts and teachings. Not mine, but to His precepts and teachings. So self-awareness is the ability to look at ourselves and realize that we're not all we haven't made it to the point that we are always going to be with uh, you know, criticism and that we get everything right, we check all the boxes, and that we are just cruising along here uh, waiting for the second advent. It, you can do that if you want, but everybody's a work in progress. God awareness is taking this to the other extent to to not just look inward with ourselves, but to look to God in faith that God has a purpose and a will for us and we will only fulfill that will through the power of God. It is, it is God knowledge, it's God awareness, it's understanding who He is and that He is our standard and that when we keep that the main thing, we cannot look at others without seeing them as the way Christ sees them. Humility, he mentions lowliness and gentle. What does it mean to be uh, gentle? It means to be God-controlled. It means to be gracious toward others. And understand that, you know, in our sin, in our frustration, in our hard-heartedness, uh, how does God look upon us? 
God is not a God that writes uh, uh, people off. God loves people. God is a God of many chances. He's a merciful God. And, and though He will punish sin and evil, He is just in doing that. Thank God that His mercy triumphs judgment. God is a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He desires for us to be saved. We're living right now in this, in this grace that God has given us through, through the church, through this time of history that we can respond in faith. We're called to live gentle lives, lowliness. He mentions long-suffering, the idea of being patient, a patient spirit that bears insult without becoming bitter. Gives people another living chance. Being gracious. He mentions there in verse 2, bearing with one another in love. What what is that? Bearing with one another. I mean, think of the context of that. Bearing with one another. That's a struggle, isn't it? I mean, as a a parent, you know, uh, every kid's a little different. Some of them learn to sleep through the night early. To God be the glory, right? Some, some not so much. You know, some pick you. Some start out like that, and they're sleeping well. And then all of a sudden, they stop for the next two years. And, you know, they're up three, four times a night. And, and, and you know, you bear through those years because the hope is that one day, they're going to do what? They're going to grow up. And you deal with all of the other things. And, and uh, good Lord, how many, how many baby wipes can you possibly go through in a day? You know, all of these things. But yet you, you deal with that as a parent. You, you stay away from restaurants at certain ages. You just, you learn these things because you, you're, you're, you're bearing with Raising a child because you understand that, that, that it takes something. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of gentleness. And, and, and they're not adults. We don't, act, we, don't want, we don't relate to them as if they're adults. We know they're babes. And, and people in the church are, are at different stages of life. Now, we're called to grow up. Amen. We're called to move on. We're called to become disciples called to take charge of our discipleship no doubt about it but at the end of the day our spiritual gift is not to offend everyone our spiritual gift is to love people it's it's to bear one another he even goes farther uh, in the very next uh, verse of talking about endeavoring endeavoring that's effort it's easy to just take the approach well They don't like what I like, I don't like what they like, and I'm going to check out, and I'm going to complain, but I'll never be part of the solution. Nobody gets anywhere like that. The church hasn't lasted for thousands of years because we adopted that attitude. And that's exactly what Paul writes about in the first century of the church. The reality that God's people, the, the, the road ahead is difficult to be established and to still exist 2,000 years down the road. That did not happen because people were weak. 
That did not happen because people uh, got in the flesh and got mad and moved on. I'm going to tell you, the first church, they endeavored. They endeavored whether they were locked up. It didn't matter. They, They bore with one another understanding that that what God has called us to do, it's going to take great effort and persistence and a lot of patience and to be long-suffering. That hasn't changed. Circumstances have, but that has not changed. Paul makes it a point that if we are to be unified and to fulfill the call of God in our lives and in the life of this church, We have to bear with one another. We have to endeavor, in verse 3 as he says there, to keep uh, the bond, to keep unity in the Spirit. He mentions peace. Peace is something that has to be made. Look at our world today. Peace just... No. Think of the thousands of peace treaties we've made through the years. Peace is something that has to be worked toward. We're sinners. We're selfish. We want our way. Sometimes we're willing to go to great lengths to do that, to get that. Nations rage. Wars rage. Peace is something that has to be worked toward. Think about our world today of all of those efforts Are we at peace in our world today? Of course not. Of course not. Peace is on its own. Paul's letting the church understand that that the behavior to walk worthy of the calling in which we were called, there is effort. Christian, listen to me. To some of you, I read this all the time, preacher. That's fine. All I ever ask is for everybody to act like it, okay? I mean, I've been here in the pulpit for nearly 16 years. I got one book. I got one book. You go to another church today, chances are you might hear the same thing. You know why? We got one book. We got one text. I don't think you want me to start quoting Max Licato books. Rick Warren books out here. Whoever the the next, uh, you know, uh, Southern Baptist anointed great writer of our time will be. I got the book. And, and the challenge for millennia has always been the same. Do what it says. Nothing's changed. <laughs> Amen. Nothing's changed. And we need to be reminded over and over and over again so we get a little bit better and better and better. Do through the power of Christian, to live a life worthy of your calling in your world that you're living in today, it's going to cost you something. Effort. Effort. And if you're on cruise control, brother, let me tell you what's not happening. What's not happening, you're not, you're not being discipled. Because I want to tell you, the world hated Jesus and they're going to hate us if we're serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you want to check out for the rest of the sermon, Remember what I just said. I promise you that has not changed in 2,000 years and it won't change in the next if, if we're here that long. It won't. 
This is something we're always going to deal with and we're always going to struggle with. That's why Paul said, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Bear the name of a Christian. that honor, Bear it in a way that honors God. Now, in verse 4 through 6, he talks about the basis for this. Notice what he says verse 4. He says, uh, there is one body and one just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above you all and in you all. The basis for our Christian unity is that it is rest, it rests in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, one body. Christ is the head of the church. Christ has given us His desire for the church. Not only for the church with, you know, capital C with respect to every blood-bought believer, but also for the local congregation, for the local church. One body. Christ is the main thing. It's about Him. We're not making disciples of ourselves. We're, we're, we're drawing people to the person of Christ. Christ is the head. Christ sets the standard. Christ gives us the doctrine. Christ gives us how we're to conduct ourselves. It's in His Word. One body. God has called people to come under uh, this, this, this title of church. His people. God has called us to assemble, to not forsake that assembly, and to, to locally to come to worship, to be equipped, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We, we cannot get away from that. That is clearly taught in Scripture. Now the, now, the early church looked different than the church does today. They didn't, have a, they didn't have a building like this. They met at home. And when one home filled up, they'd start meeting in two homes, and so on and so forth. As a matter of fact, historically, the idea of what we, you know, we recognize a certain architecture today and we associate that with a church, and we do that for good reason because historically we see that. We understand that that, that wasn't really part of the church until several hundred years down the road. But yet God had called believers to gather together at a place to worship Him, to be equipped, and then to go out and to add to that number. That hasn't changed. Has it? That hasn't changed. We're still talking about one body. We're still talking about this, this group of people that are coming together for the purpose to worship God and to be equipped of His Word, encouraged in His Word, and to move forward to make His name known. That hasn't changed. That won't, that won't change if, 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 if we keep it to Scripture. He mentions one spirit. How is the church, how is the church to accomplish its goal? Our best, because of our best efforts? I mean, you, tell, you mean to tell me the God that created heaven and earth just got the idea that 
sinful creatures. He says the heart is deceitful, <laughs> wicked. Who can trust it? Who can know it? He's just gonna, he's just gonna turn that over. Oh no 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 no! No, God gave us His Spirit to fulfill His calling in power, not of our strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what He did. God gives us what we need to accomplish His vision and His mission and His purposes. He's given you, He's given me, every believer, the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. So Paul says, there's one body, there's one Spirit. Not our efforts, not empowered by our, our charisma, not empowered by new techniques, although that's great. I understand through the years, methods have changed. But he says there's one Spirit. He mentions, as we talked about last Sunday, one hope. That hope is the, the ultimate uh, consummation of our salvation in heaven. The reality of walking in a city whose builder and maker is God. Where we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Glorified in His presence. Moved on from sanctification. Now we're at glorification. The consummation of all things. New heavens, new earth. <coughs> is that your hope? Is, is that our hope? See, the early, the early church didn't have the problem that we have today where we're so attached to this world. Because they didn't have nothing. They didn't have nothing. And when you ain't got nothing, you ain't worried about nothing. You know what I mean? What they had was Jesus, and He's enough. He always has been, and He always will be. And all of the... All the the accoutrements of the day and all of the ways we try to we try to hedge our life. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Kind of like you know we we hear the term hedge funds in our world today, where we're just like betting out here, and we call that investing nowadays. And that's where they want you to put your retirement in. They call it the hedge fund. It's betting. That's all it is is betting, gambling basically. You're giving a bunch of people. You don't know to take your money and to gamble with it. And they call it investment. But we do the same thing. We, we want to hedge ourselves, make us comfortable enough, and we, and, and we want to insulate ourselves. And it attaches us to this world. And I do it too. I, I complain all the time about first world problems. Our hope is in a future with Christ that will not perish. This will. We're healthy today. Who knows where we'll be in five years? I mean, the economy today, who knows where it'll be in five weeks? In five months, much less five years. 
My point in saying this, folks, I'm not doom and gloom, but the reality is that, that, that Paul bases this unity in something. And notice it's in him, not in anything else. All of this speaks of God, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. Right? He's, he's master. And, and that, that, you know, faith, one faith. And I understand there's, you know, we, we kind of refer to in our culture today as, as varying denominations of the Christian life uh, as certain faith, but that's not what he's talking about. At the time Paul is writing this, he's not used to, uh, you know, Independent Baptist, Southern Baptist, uh, Landmark Baptist. He's not Methodist, Episcopalian, Trinitarian. Uh, he's not, that ain't around. So he's just, he's saying, look, folks, the point is there is one Lord and there is one faith. What is the faith he's talking about? Not, not, not the kind in the obituary where you never see the guy, you never know who he is, and at the, la- the, the tagline of the obituary is, he was of the Baptist faith. No, that ain't what I'm talking about. No, what is the one faith? The one faith Paul refers to is that same way every blood-bought believer has been saved. That's it. That's the faith. And here it is. It's, it's not complicated. It's not. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. That's it. That's what makes you a blood-bought believer and nothing else. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Paul spent a letter to the church there in Galatia explaining that in detail. For that reason, that's the faith he's referring to. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Amen. One faith. One way through our Lord Jesus Christ. He even mentions in verse 5, he mentions one baptism. And and look, the, the, the word there is baptismal, okay? It means immersion. That's what he says. John, John the Immerser. The word is used in the ancient world, I'm not kidding you, to describe boats sinking. The profession of faith in the first world of the church was a public baptism via immersion. Why? Because it was a picture of of the reality of what has happened to the believer. Dead, under the water, in the grave, raising up out of the grave as Christ came out of the grave on the third day, new creation in Jesus Christ. That's what it was. One God in verse 6. Again, only one God, only one Lord, only one Creator. And Paul said, He is omniscient, He is omnipotent, and He is omnipresent. This is is Elohim from the beginning. This is the sovereign Lord. 
Man, methods through the years have changed. The message cannot. There is only one way to be saved. What we do as a, as a congregation as it, relates to, as it relates to evangelism is to do that. We are to bring Jesus to them. That's the point. One God, one faith. And what happens? How does this, how does this change us real quickly? You go down there to verse 25. It says, therefore... Putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your mouth, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands uh, what is good, that he may have something to give who has, a need, who has some need. Uh, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. That's the benefit of Christian unity. People get right. People live their lives in a way that it is evident that they have a relationship with the Lord because their conduct has changed. Look at the contrast. He, he's saying the lost man who stole steals no longer. And, and now instead of, instead of uh, taking that which he needs, no, he's putting back to offer someone. What a contrast. The benefits of Christian unity. Conduct changed. Verse 29, the conversation's cleaned up. Amen. Commitment gets deep. Conflict gets eliminated. Kindness, consideration is practiced. The Lord says you know them by their fruit. You know a tree by the fruit it produces. You'll know my people because they love each other. I'll close with this, you know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, the scriptures tell us that the, that the Roman guards were dividing up the, the clothes of the prisoners that day. And when they got to the Lord's tunic, it was, it was seamless, it was one piece. And they knew that if, if they divided it to tore, you know, they would have to tear it in two and it was such a valuable piece, they didn't want to do that. So they, they cast lots for it to see who would get it. I've seen this through the years be used as a metaphor for unity in the church. That we're to live and operate in a way that, that, that we understand we are this seamless, beautiful garment of God. We are to look at our, we are to see ourselves that way, that we are valuable to God. And when, when, the, when the church gets sidetracked, it's as if we're, if, as if we're tearing. God forbid, amen? We're to, we're to be that beautiful picture of Christ 
and his love and his work, fulfilling his call, his commission. Go, make disciples. Go and preach the gospel. It's not complicated. Not easy. But it's not complicated. May God encourage us and strengthen us to live that way. Whether we want to admit it or not, if we are going to live out our faith authentically, it will cost us something. People are watching. Be used of God. Bear that name with honor and respect. Walk worthy of the calling in which we were called. Let's pray this morning. We're grateful for the privilege that we have to know you, to love you, to serve you. And thank you, God, that, Lord, you've called us today to be on mission. To know what we believe and be unified in that, in that purpose, Lord. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. To profess and to live in that way that, Lord, you are God and you alone. I pray this morning, Father, that you would call men and women and boys and girls to the cross this morning. Lord, you challenge us, Lord, in what we believe, in our conduct. You would help us live lives full of grace and mercy. Love and honor, Lord. Help us to surrender and submit our lives wholeheartedly to you. God, I, I confess my need for you, Lord. Not a day goes by that I don't need you, Lord. God, help us to see our, our brokenness, our arrogance, or our, our pride, Lord. Help us to repent of that, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Church, let's stand on our feet this morning. We sing this morning. I want to just appeal this morning. If you don't know Christ, today's the day and now's the time. Would you step out in faith? Would you come? The Savior is waiting.